This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. New show today, and we are talking about drinking. Drinking electrolytes, that is. We've learned in past episodes how important it is to stay hydrated in training and racing. So today, we will specifically be learning how to craft a race day hydration plan that accounts for our sweat rate, our sodium levels, the race distance, the race weather, and more. Our key guide to the world of hydration is Andy Blow from Precision Hydration. Andy is a sports scientist with a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath. An expert in sweat, dehydration, and cramping, Andy has worked with multiple Formula One racing teams, NBA, NBL, MLB, and Premier League sports teams, as well as many professional triathletes. An elite-level triathlete in his younger days, Andy has finished in the top 10 of Ironman events, as well as winning an Xterra World title. Andy Blow, welcome back to the show. Good to be back, Andrew. Thanks for the invite. Also joining us is Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's Athlete Services, Ambassador, and Coaching Programs. He's coached hundreds of athletes ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John Mayfield, are you amped up for a drinking conversation? Conversations are always more entertaining when they involve drinking, so yes, I am uh, looking forward to this one. And just for the record, John Mayfield is not a closet alcoholic. I didn't want to make it sound like you were that way by, <laughs> by saying that, but anyway, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set topic of hydration, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. At the time this episode is being recorded and published, we are right at the tail end of the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. I trust all of us have enjoyed watching our fair share of the games. So the other day, I was watching the men's 4x100 meter IM relay, where the United States and Great Britain finished one second apart for the gold and silver medals. And specifically, I was watching the closing 100 meter freestyle leg, and I thought to myself, I wonder what it feels like just to be able to swim like that. So I bring I bring this up to set up today's warm-up question. If you could feel what it feels like to be a world-class athlete in one Olympic sport, like just for a moment or, or, or for one race or one game or one split, you could just jump inside the mind and the body of a top Olympian and feel what it's like to be as good as they are, what sport would you choose? And so for the Summer Olympics, my choice is the downhill cycling BMX racing. So I was watching this. It was new to the Olympics. It was super cool. Like these guys and girls, like they, they, they are on BMX bikes, shoulder to shoulder, eight of them at a time, just kind of pushing and pedaling their way down a course. And, 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 and so it's you have the combination of the physical effort that they're putting forth, you have the combination of just the almost like dirt bike-like, you know, taking turns and going over jumps and catching air. And I, if I tried that, I'm, I am a nervy bike handler. I, I'm a triathlete in my bike handling skills. 
I would crash and burn so hard if I tried BMX racing. Uh, so to feel what it would be like to be elite at that sport and, and be able to just fly through the air uh, uh, like they do would be super cool to me. So BMX racing is uh, my personal pick. Andy, what, what is your pick here? Yeah, it's a good one. I, I reckon there was a new sport in the Olympics this time around, which was the rock climbing, the indoor climbing, where they did three things. They did the speed wall and the bouldering and the lead climbing. And I've actually, my son is seven years old, Bobby, and we've just started going indoor climbing together some weekends. Very and cool. I did, I did a little bit of that when I was younger, not to any level, but then watching those guys and girls at the Olympics and the sort of level of the, the problems that they have to solve on the wall, because they only get to see the route they're going to do, apart from the speed climbing, they only get to see the route, I think, for six minutes before then they start the competition. And just, just how, they, how they do it, the strength and it, the nerve as well, because when I've been climbing with my son, we went to one wall and I got to the top and it was quite high and uh, you know, it was it, it sort of, <laughs> you know, it was enough. And then we went to another different wall, a brand new wall opened up, which is in a, a much bigger warehouse. And Bobby said to me, do you think you can climb all the way to the top? And I, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I got about two thirds of the way up. And I had to stop and come <laughs> down because it was, it was all getting a bit much. So I would, yeah, I, I was so impressed watching that. I was glued to the TV. So that would be the one for me. Okay, because they they didn't get to practice on the wall. I mean, to to your point, they they just looked at it for six minutes, and so they're mentally yeah. kind of playing this chess match of of just determining what they think their route should be, and then they have a certain amount of time to climb it. And yeah, th those are some athletes with the, with the speed that they can get up those walls. It, it was insane. Yeah, so incredible. John Mayfield, um, you know, we, we've got one nomination for BMX cycling. We got one nomination for the uh, the, the rock climbing uh, at the Olympic Games. What is the John Mayfield selection for this answer or for this Man, question? I, I think so many. It's just like you said, it'd be it'd be so cool just to experience. What does that feel like? What does it feel like to do, you know, a sub one minute uh, pace in the water and, and all those like 100 yard dash pace? What does that feel like? Um, so for me, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm not going to deviate far from our, our cycling uh, experience. <laughs> for me as a 90s kid, uh, it was super cool to have um, the BMX freestyle and skateboarding and surfing added into the Olympics. Um, I think for, for my generation, those were the underground sports. They were, uh, you know, it was largely discouraged. And, you know, you kind of had to find a place that you could go and do those activities without getting run off, have the cops called. And, and, uh, then, then the X games came along. Um, so I think for us, it's coming full circle now that is completely legitimized in an, an Olympic sport. Um, so for me watching, uh, the BMX freestyle and seeing those backflips are just insane. I do everything I can every time I ride to make sure that, that rubber never leaves the road. Um, so for those guys to go and do those backflips and front flips and, everything else they do is just, it's insane. Like I, I just can't fathom what it's like to climb that ramp, go and get several feet of air and leave the bike and come back on. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, so, uh, you know, back in the day we did it as kids and, and mine looked much <laughs> more like the scene from Napoleon dynamite where they set up the, uh, the bike ramp. Um, but yeah, those guys and, and girls are just amazing in what they do such stellar athletes and, and just, Oh, I can, I can only imagine how, how many times they crash and how many times they, uh, what it feels like when they don't land those tricks. I mean, that makes it just that much more amazing. So yeah, I, I would, I would, I would love to experience a backflip on a bike off a ramp. 
Yeah, my, my wife and I were watching the the skateboarding um, kind, kind of trick competition. And, and that's one thing she said. She was like, I wonder how many times these kids have fallen in practice, like trying to perfect the, the, these tricks. Because I mean, you see how much they're falling in competition. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, they, they practice this every single day of their lives. And it, it's absolutely insane. So, yeah, re- really cool picks, guys. Really cool sports. Um, as always, we're going to take this question and we're going to throw it out on the I Am Trot Facebook group. We want to hear from you guys, uh, our audience on this. So what, you know, whatever Olympic sport you were watching and you just thought to yourself, man, I would love to feel what it's like to be world class at that sport. Uh, would love to hear what you uh, have to say. So go to the I Am Trot Facebook group, find the post asking you this question and uh, let us know what you think. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. We recently had sports scientist Andy Blow from Precision Hydration on the show and learned that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to hydration because everyone loses a different amount of salt in their sweat. We learned so much from that conversation that we have Andy back on the show today to share more. So as someone who sweats a lot, I wanted to get a better understanding of how much salt I lose in my sweat, so I took their online sweat test. After taking the test, I received a personalized hydration plan and was recommended their strongest electrolyte drink, PH1500, which is three times stronger than most sports drinks. It's been a game changer for me, particularly in hot conditions. Y'all know I live and train in Texas. If you've ever struggled with hydration issues like dehydration or cramping during long, hot sessions, it's worth checking out precisionhydration.com. You can take their free online sweat test, find out which pH strength matches how you sweat, and then get 10% off your order with the code TRIDOT10. To learn more, you can even book a free 20-minute video consultation with them to ask any questions you have about hydration and fueling, or even to discuss your own personal strategy for an upcoming race. So again, that's precisionhydration.com, and use the code TRIDOT10 to get 10% off your electrolytes and fuel. There's a quote from a past podcast episode that I absolutely love. It came from the great triathlon coach and podcast regular, John Mayfield, who says, on the race course, you've got to drink like it's your job. This is a mindset that will help many triathletes stay hydrated to the finish line. But today, I want to unpack it a little bit with Andy and John so that we can learn what we should drink and how much we should drink and when we should drink so that we can drink like it's our job as effectively as possible. So for anyone who is listening right now and has not already listened to episode 87, where Andy gets into the science of our sweat, pause this episode, go to episode 87, take in all of that juicy information, and then come back and resume this one. Uh, It's just really going to provide some context uh, and kind of lay the groundwork about how we all sweat differently, and so we all need to hydrate differently. So Andy... Let's start today just by talking about forming a hydration plan for a race. You know, from our last conversation, you know, I think our, all of our listeners by now understand, you know, the amount of electrolyte needed per hour will differ from athlete to athlete. But other than the amount of sodium we need to replace, should the race plan itself really be that different athlete to athlete? Yeah, it's, it is one of those things that I think that, I think when you lift the lid on this, at first, people look at hydration, they look at electrolyte replacement, and you can get around a lot of long, hot endurance events with a very rudimentary plan, or in fact, no plan at all in many cases. You can bluff your way around. But but often, that is a very, very painful 
way to do it. And I, I sort of know that from firsthand experience because when I started doing long distance races, I genuinely had, although I had a bit of a background in sports science, it wasn't one of those topics that, that got covered specifically. And I just went with how I felt. I just tried to figure it out. And yeah. what I figured out was that deep into the marathon, you can feel really awful if you don't get those things right, you can be as fit as anything. I was at one point I was, you know, going as fast as I'd ever gone short course and I was in super great condition. And yet in Ironman, I was taking best part of four hours to do a marathon that should have taken me three. And it was, it was basically this, you know, it was the hydration issue and not knowing how big a hole I was digging myself on the bike early on in the run that was, that was catching me out later on. And I suppose there's the way, the way to think about it to, to start to distill it down for people is to say, look, and I like, I like John's analogy there of like, you know, hydrate or drink like it's your job because you've got to basically put some, some kind of working rules in place because like a job it's easy. You can, you can be lazy and you can not work hard enough and you can get behind but you can also, it's important to realize you can be over-organized and over-diligent and overwork, And, you know, you can work yourself into the ground. So you need, what you need to do is find the happy medium and you need to do, do the work that's required. And with, with hydration, that's going to come down to understanding two parameters. The first one is roughly how much fluid you're going to need. And I like to do it on an hourly basis because that then gives you sort of targets through the race or, or metrics to hit. And also looking at the amount of electrolyte and specifically the amount of sodium that, you, that you're going to replace. And it, it varies a lot from person to person because of our differences in our sweat rates and the differences in the sodium concentration of our sweat. And then it also varies for the same people in different situations. But if we, to constrain it to start with, if we, if we start with the outer limits and then work inwards, I always think that's a good way to go because people often ask like, how much should I drink per hour on the bike in an Ironman? Generally speaking, we would say to people, look, around 34 ounces an hour, one liter an hour is what's compatible with the upper limit of what most people can absorb. And you yeah. certainly don't want to be drinking more than you can absorb per hour. That's a key limiting factor because if you start to drink more than you absorb, obviously what happens, it starts to just back up and you get that horrible bloated sloshing yeah. <laughs> stomach feeling and that's doing you no good. So, so then what I would also say is, let's face it, there are Ironman races that happen in cool or colder conditions, but they're more frequently in warmer and hotter conditions. So straight away, we can start to constrain the realistic guidelines of what's a reasonable amount of fluid to drink per hour in an Ironman to, let's say, more like 16 to 18 ounces on the low end and more like 32 to 34 ounces on the upper end. And that, I think, if you took the majority of athletes in the majority of conditions, that's still quite a wide range. But that starts to zone people's heads into where we're at. So in, in more colloquial terms, it's like one or two standard bike bottles per of hour. a smaller variety per hour. You're somewhere going to be in that mix. And then kind of how do you further drill down from there? Well, you know, we've talked, I think, on the last podcast about measuring your own sweat rate. We've certainly got a blog about it on the website, which is worth a quick look. You can download a spreadsheet from there. You can weigh yourself before and after some bike rides for um to start to figure out how much sweat you lose per hour when you're riding at race power in race environmental conditions. 
that then starts to give you an idea of whether you're a heavier or a lighter sweater. And and I would say if you're someone who's losing upwards of uh, 1.5 liters, so that's like the 48 ounces an hour, you're in the heavy sweating category. We so we see people for context, we do see people losing up to three liters plus an hour, but again, they're in the minority. Like anything above about 48 ounces is is really high. Something around 30 to 35 ounces is probably relatively normal. And if you're substantially below that, you're probably quite a light sweater. And and what we're not looking for here is then just to take that figure and use it for one for one replacement. It tends to be that you're going to drink less than you, and you should yeah. probably drink less than what you you sweat out. But what you're trying to avoid is a horrible mismatch. You're trying to avoid drinking 32 ounces now when you're only losing 16, or the other way around. You know, you want to be getting in that. I always say it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rule of thumb, and I don't I don't love generic rules of thumb for a lot of things but if if pressed i would say you know 70 percent of your losses 80 percent of your losses on the bike in an ironman is a decent target to shoot at because although you could probably finish the ride in reasonable shape drinking only 40 or 50 percent of what you lose that's not the recipe for setting yourself up for a good 26 mile run that's the kind of that's the starting point i think for the process of like defining how much fluid you you need to take in as an individual and then uh, as again we talked about before and you know i certainly invite john's comment on this because i know he's a very experienced athlete himself but then the most important thing is the trial and error process in training like going out doing these long you you often will be doing long brick sessions long bike rides where you have significant chunks at race pace you got to try these different fluid volumes absolutely and see yeah. what's compatible with good performance yeah. See, see how you feel having drinking that much fluid. Um, you know, and, and we preach that all the time for, you know, in, in your race rehearsals, in those longer stamina sessions, you know, in those race like training sessions to, to practice eating what you're going to eat on race day. And, and same thing for hydration, practice with different amounts of, of hydration and water and sodium and, and see how your body responds. See if your body can absorb, um, that much. So I, I, I actually just, just recently, Andy, I had two friends of mine from high school, uh, in, in the last, 12 months have gotten in the triathlon. Uh, one of them has raced a couple of races. Uh, one of them just raced his first triathlon ever. Uh, and he did a half Ironman. Um, so my buddies, Jonathan and Edwin, they both raced 70.3 Ohio, um, just, just a few weeks back. And, um, so, so my, my buddy Edwin, um, brand new triathlete had never done a triathlon before. It was his first one ever. And, and so in our little text message chain, you know, we, we kept telling him like, Hey, like, is your first race? Like, how are you going to feel? What are you going to use? And, and he kept saying, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Um, so it turns out race day comes, um, Edwin, the entire 70.3, um, took in no calories. Um, all he did was he, he drank the Gatorade that was offered on course, um, at the bike aid stations and the run aid stations. And to your point, Andy, you said something very key. Um, you can get to the finish line of an endurance event off of very little, but when Edwin came across the finish line, he, he pretty much just immediately laid down on the ground um, and, and he was just absolutely depleted, just had nothing in his system, had had, you know, no fluids, um, no, no, um, no, no food, no, no calories. Um, and, and he was done. And so now we've had some serious conversations about, OK, let's talk a little bit more about what you're going to use next time um, so that you're not finishing in this kind of a state because uh, he was just in, in terrible shape on the run. Um, so we all have that mo moment where we kind of learn that lesson the hard way. Right. Um, so, so for an athlete to take, 
kind of what you're saying and, and to form a plan and to weigh themselves and figure out what they need. You know, what, what is that process like for an athlete? You know, how do we go about planning how much electrolyte we need for a race and, and how we're going to consume that electrolyte and how often we need to consume that electrolyte? Yeah. So the, so the electrolyte thing is, is the net is the other component, obviously fluid. We talk about them independently, but obviously you're going to end up taking them fundamentally together, whether it's in the form of um, sodium salt capsules or salt tablets or um, drink mixes of some sort. And the, so the, just rewinding onto the thing when we sweat we obviously sweat water plus electrolytes sodium is the main electrolyte that's the one that varies a lot from person to person and like with the fluid we need to replace a proportion of that if not all of it with the fluids that we drink because beyond a certain point it compromises blood volume if we don't and that's the principal thing that that causes a problem because you, your body doesn't like to dilute the sodium levels in the blood too low by just if you just drink water Again, like probably as much or even more than with fluid recommendation guidelines, sodium guidelines are all over the map. And one of the reasons they're all over the map is you cannot prescribe this on a one-for-one basis. So whereas we might see that that kind of um, three or maybe four-fold variation in the amount of fluid people need to drink on the bike in an Ironman per hour, the sodium variation can be more like tenfold. So wow. some people, some people who have very dilute sweat and particularly those who also don't sweat very much can get away with very minimal supplementation. We've seen athletes do really well on two or 300 milligrams of sodium per hour during an Ironman. Um, I would, I would, as it happens, tend to say to most people that that level of supplementation is, is really quite low. And there's pr- probably arguably not a downside to going a little bit more aggressive than that, whatever, because it's in my opinion, a bit more of an insurance policy, but we've certainly analyzed enough data from athletes to know that people do successfully race Ironmans on very low amounts of sodium if their physiology and the conditions allow them to. On the flip side, though, we know, we, we've got a lot of athletes and, and clearly we will come across these athletes because they'll seek us out, but who, who need to take 1,000, 1,500 maybe milligrams of sodium per hour right through the bike ride in a, in a long, hot Ironman and probably as much as 750, 1,000 milligrams an hour on the run to keep their hydration levels topped up and to stop them either cramping, stop them really fading out in the heat and and also to keep them absorbing the water. Because if you sometimes, we talked about that, if you drink too much, you can get a sloshy stomach. You can also get a sloshy stomach if you don't take in sufficient sodium because your body will slow the absorption rate from the gut into the bloodstream if you put enough salt in the drinks or in with the drinks and food that you eat, then that can really help draw the fluid from your stomach into your gut and into your bloodstream and and help to solve that problem because as as with any sporting event any endurance sporting event what your body is doing is basically fighting a battle against homeostasis or battle of homeostasis trying to keep everything balanced and if you are basically losing fluid and sodium in your sweat at an extravagant rate but you're only putting the fluid back in you're clearly going to you're you're um you're um, encouraging an imbalance a growing imbalance the whole time by putting by putting in an amount of sodium that's that's in relation to two things it's got to be in relation to the total amount that you're drinking and it's got to be in relation to the concentration of your sweat then you are basically just giving your body a helping hand by keeping it on a level because that's all your body wants to do your body doesn't want to go particularly want to go faster in the Ironman what it wants to do is just not deviate too much from normal and and when it doesn't deviate from too much from normal 
ironically, that's when you can push yourself to go faster. And it's when these things get out of whack that your body shuts you down. So, so basically, sodium requirements escalate with escalating fluid requirements for everyone. So as it gets hotter and more humid and you sweat more, everyone needs a bit more sodium just because we're net losing a bit more. But specifically, it really goes through the roof for those of us that have got salty sweat because our losses can can get close to that cliff edge where where performance is really going to deteriorate. Yeah, very much so. I agree. And, and, and Andrew mentioned it earlier that every session that is done is an opportunity to test that. And it's, it's having that mindset and that mentality of I'm going to do training today. Um, and I know what my workout is and I'm going to go and execute that, but it's also having that mentality of I, I I'm going to test everything that I can. Um, because there are certain things that we can quantify with data. There are certain things that we can prescribe based on data. Um, and largely that's our, our training. It's very easy to quantify that. We have a large amount of data. We have analytics that are able to turn that into highly productive training. Um, but things like nutrition, as we've been talking about, we don't have those metrics and they vary, um, widely from athlete to athlete. So yes, as, as I, I 100% agree, it's, it's all about finding what's right for you. Um, I highly recommend, um, you know, looking into and working with the experts like precision hydration that know this stuff and have done the testing and can establish those ranges. Um, but, but as you've mentioned from there, it's, it's taking those ranges and, and finding exactly what's, what's right for you based on your conditions, your race distance, all those. So, um, I always recommend athletes to go in, especially in the long sessions to, to have that mentality of I'm doing my training today, I'm getting fit, but I'm also preparing for race day in, in a little bit less tangible way in that I'm, I'm refining my, my hydration, my nutrition. It's kind of ironic that, uh, once you reach those more, um, the higher states of dehydration, sometimes it's actually harder to drink it's yeah, in, in, in the beginning. It's easy. It tastes good. It's nice and sweet. It's fruity. But by the end, five hours in, you're however many ounces in, you're kind of sick of it. You're over it. Um, I do vary the flavor, uh, which helps with some of that flavor fatigue. But again, sometimes your stomach is just like enough of this. Um, so it, it's really developing that discipline. It's developing the ability to absorb, developing the gut strength and, and that sort of thing. So there's a whole lot that goes into it. Uh, and, and the more you practice, the more you dial it in, the better it's going to be um, on race day. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, that's a really good point you've made there, John, about, you know, you, you've got a lot of experience, especially in hot conditions, these long rides, and you find that you really have to make a commitment to the drinking later on in. And I think one of the big things that we see with athletes who know their bodies really well versus those who are maybe like your friend, Andrew, who's a bit more novice is, is, is kind of learning to read the signals because sometimes you can feel like not drinking, and if an elite athlete tells me they really feel like not drinking, that to me is usually a sign that maybe they've drunk enough or even a bit too much. They need to back off because what they're reading there is a different set of subtle signs than someone who is just starting to blow up and who's actually losing the will to keep drinking and eating and all those kind of things when we know from experience that what they need to do is keep shoveling stuff in. And it's actually, it's really, what it what it fundamentally falls back down to is like, yeah, that, reading learning to read the signals that your body gives you because for, with all of the knowledge in the world you still need to rely on that kind of intuition and, and that intuition gets better when you the more you do but the more and i was very guilty of this as an athlete so i can say this unreservedly you don't get 
to build that intuition by just going out and doing stuff. You have to go out and actively engage in what you're doing. You have to write down after the sessions what you ate and drank and think about how you felt. And you have to analyze that stuff in the same way that people pour over their power data files and their CDAs when they're trying to dial in their um, their arrow positions and things like that and their heart rate files or whatever. If you just passively go out and do ride after ride after ride, you'll learn a little bit and you'll look bit, but unless you actively engage in that trial and error process, it's why I think it's why it's one of the most rewarding parts of the job we do now working with elite athletes is while, while we're on this call here, some of the team are on calls with um, Sam Appleton and uh, Emma Pallant, who just came first and second yeah, respectively yep. in their races at 70.3 Boulder. And we're collecting, we've had a call with them last week where we collected their pre-race hydration nutrition plan. And today is debrief day. So we then get a really detailed rundown of everything they ate and drank, how they felt, that we write it all down, it goes into a spreadsheet. And then the great thing is now with those particular athletes, we've got lots of those previous ones to draw upon we can look at what the weather was like in boulder compared to what it was like in st george or whatever and how many grams of carbs they got in on the bike how many ounces of fluid and then and it just although the by the time they get to the level they're at the differences the tweaks that we're making if we're making any are relatively subtle having that data to draw back on and those experiences really it helps us to learn and it helps them to learn about and it gives them solid information on which to make future decisions okay well all of a sudden if you go to 70.3 worlds this year and it could be significantly hotter or cooler how are we going to adapt the plan with 48 hours notice because you then have an accurate weather forecast and it's it's that discipline of like going over the data and um you know not expecting it to just just happen and fall into place you've got to actively engage in it i think is a huge part of the process so, Andy, there are several different ways of consuming electrolytes, getting them into the body. Uh, is there a difference uh, in those different methods? Is one one better than the other, or is it about what? Uh, is it simply just getting enough in, or is the the method of consuming those those electrolytes make a difference? I would say very strongly that the hierarchy here is that the getting in the right amount is the most important thing. Like, you want to take a salt lick on the bike rather than electrolyte drink if you get enough salt in enough sodium in you'll do just fine you know it's it's the 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 hierarchy is get the right amount then the sort of method of delivery is very much secondary to that and people have different and strong opinions on that but for me you know it's it's down to the basic physiology whether you, whether you put a salt tablet in or a electrolyte drink or whatever once it gets in the stomach it all gets broken down it's all into its individual components and the body gets sorts out what it needs the only exception to that i would say is that there well there are a couple of exceptions one is that you as stupid as it sounds you do need to choose products that you either like or at least don't mind consuming flavor wise because if you have we're we are only human if you have a drink in your bottle that you don't like the taste of you will drink less of it or you'll be yeah, less inclined absolutely. to drink enough of it <laughs> yeah so andy to that point um something that i found early on um is not, not just necessarily liking the flavor of what i was drinking but making sure i had an easy way to drink it um just as you know as a bike there's a lot of different places on your bike you can store uh, fluid and hydration. And uh, I just found for me, I, I tried the bottles behind my seat because I had read, oh, that's the most arrow. Get it, get it out of the wind, get it behind your body. I, I found for me, I just, I have short little arms. I'm not a great bike handler. I'm not very good at reaching behind my saddle and grabbing a bottle and then drinking it. And so I found for me, if I have my fluids 
in that between the arms bottle with a straw right in front of my face, that just causes me to drink that much more. And, and so I, I would even say, once you find the drink that you like, you like the taste of it, you know, you're, 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 you happily reach for it every single time your, your Garmin buzzes and reminds you to drink. Um, you know, the, the next step is then to make sure that what you're drinking from is very easy to access, uh, because that, that's another thing that can make it so much easier to get the fluids in on race day. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Even back when I was racing is nearly seriously racing is nearly 20 years ago now, but even then we had the, the profile we used to make them a bottle between the bars with yeah. a straw there and a little sponge pad in the top where you could dump the other bottles in. And I found that was a massive gain for me on on especially on long flat courses where you wanted to stay tucked in you know it's 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 huge and you do you you drink more because then you're right you're not having to disrupt your flow and and get get down and reach another bottle the other thing sort of allied to that as well i would say is that although we do spend a lot of money on our bikes making them as light as possible and that sort of thing i think in hot races and humid races especially when the courses are relatively flat I would always err on the side of carrying more of my own drinks from T1 in a long race because okay. I, I think the weight penalty is, is is different on a hilly course for sure, where you've got to think a bit more about how much extra weight you want to be lugging up and down the hills. But when it's when it's fast and flat and when it's and hot and humid, if you can kind of rely less a little bit less on aid stations and get more of the drinks and things that you want, then I would. That's when I would be considering stashing an extra bottle behind the seat, having an extra large bottle on the frame, or even an internal bottle or, or whatever. Because I think that you you may seconds may be lost because of the weight, but minutes might be gained by executing a better a better hydration plan. Yeah. Um, and then the the other point I guess about format of electrolytes is the the big difference is if you're not mixing them into your drinks, you're probably taking them in the form of a capsule or a tablet. And this is where people get a bit a bit on their high horse sometimes and a bit funny about it because I do when I do I, I do recognize the fact that with a tablet with a drink it's hard to overdose with electrolytes it's hard to take way too many because you're essentially dissolving them into a liquid so you are taking them at a hypotonic level whatever you're doing you're taking in more liquid relatively than sodium if you just pop salt capsules you can take a lot of them before without any water or with only a really small amount of water or another drink and then of course that can result in a super concentrated amount of electrolytes and sodium in your stomach and could make you quite queasy or quite sick and that's that's not a good way to go my, my argument against people people categorically ruling out salt tablets for that reason though is i just say look you just all you need to understand is how many how much electrolyte is in them and how many to take you know and then you yeah. take the right amount you know it's it is it, it it leaves it is risky if you don't know what you're doing and you don't you just decide to pop these and i've heard lots of stories particularly in the ultra running world of people going a bit a bit crazy with the amount that they're taking <laughs> but it, it, it comes down to knowing your numbers you know if you know your numbers the, uh, the sweat salt capsules that we make we purposely made them with exactly 250 milligrams of sodium per capsule so you know that if you need 250 an hour it's one if you need four a thousand it's four and because when i when i used to race ironman although i didn't have those particular products what i did was i used all sorts of different brands but I knew that if I had, if I was in Kona and I'd bought lava salts, then I knew they were whatever it was, 212 milligrams. And I would stick them on the underside of my bars and on my armrests with a little carpet tape, like the double-sided uh -huh. um, sticky tape, duct tape, stick them under there so they stayed dry. And then I would just pick them off and eat them once I'd run out of my 
drinks, you know, and, and as long as you knew that, okay, well, four of these is 850 milligrams, then you, you're golden. But, but it comes back down to having the discipline to, to use the, to know your numbers and then use them in the right way. Um, and, and, and drink, and drink water I, alongside of them. Yeah. Drink water. Or if it's on the run, I would wash those down with cola or okay. whatever it is I'm, I'm drinking at that point in time. You, you usually are going to want a, a small cup full of water per capsule as a rough rule of thumb. Okay. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not, an, I'm not anti those like, like some people are, but I know that some people feel a bit more vehemently that they're not good because they say that, you know, they're very concentrated in the, in the stomach, which, you know, as I say, I can, I can, I can buy that if you, if you're abusing them, but we could say that about a lot of things. If you took 10 energy gels, one after <laughs> you, you'd have a, you'd have a squeezy stomach. Oh, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, so, so both of you guys have actually referenced in this conversation already palate fatigue and, and just getting, just getting tired of a certain flavor, getting tired of, uh, you know, you get to the end of the 112 mile bike and all of a sudden, oh man, I don't want to drink anymore. You get to the end of a 70.3, uh, run course. Oh, I know I need one more gel to get to this finish line, but I've already had so many gels. Um, you know, what, what are kind of y'all's tangible strategies for combating palate fatigue over the course of a race? And, and I, I gotta say this, me personally, I haven't done a full Ironman yet, but even at a 70.3, um, I, I've never gotten to a point where I, I'm even almost sick of my gel or, or, or drink. I, I always am just fine by the end. So, so maybe, I, I, so I, I can't speak to it personally, but, but for the two of you, you know, kind of what are your strategies for dealing with palate fatigue, um, so that you don't get sick of what you're drinking or eating and can, and can continue to do so as needed. So, uh, one thing I do is try to vary the flavor. So, um, in, in my, my nutrition, I have two different flavors and I try to make them, um, kind of different so that, uh, and I, I do my best to kind of vary the bottles. It doesn't always work out that way, but generally, um, you know, it's every, every other bottle, every third bottle is going to be a little bit different flavor. It's going to hit the palate a little bit different. Um, it also helps to just have water as well, which is for me, I know is difficult in my training rides because I'm trying to carry as much nutrition as I can. So do I have a dedicated water bottle? Oftentimes that's a little easier on race day and just to be able to rinse out, um, can help to, to kind of cleanse the palate before, for adding more. Cause that, especially with, uh, we're taking in a lot of sugars and, and all those electrolytes, um, in there tend to kind of hang around in the mouth. So like you can have that taste for, you take a swig of it, but you're still tasting it for the next couple of miles. So, um, just having that water bottle to, to rinse it out, keep it fresh, um, can help as, as well. So, um, another thing on, on race day, it's a little easier to, if, especially if you're using on course nutrition, always take a cold bottle. There are multiple reasons, uh, for that primarily due to, um, your cooling protocol. You're going to be better off with that fresh cold bottle that hopefully has been in some ice, uh, till, till the last couple of minutes. Whereas, you know, if you've got a bike, a bottle that's been hanging around your bike for the last three hours, it's going to be, um, nice and warm. So that's not going to, uh, be as inviting, not as palatable, um, either. So, uh, do what you can to, to vary the flavors, um, when and how you can get in, uh, cold beverages is, is going to be uh, a little bit more refreshing, a little more palatable. So there, there are some strategies that you can have to, to offset that. But, uh, at the end of the day, you know, this is, this is a, an endurance event you just got to push through. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it hurts to keep cycling. Sometimes it hurts <laughs> to just, uh, keep taking in the nutrition and it, but yeah, there's certain things you can do to, to help offset some of that. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with all of those points, and I think especially actually to a degree the last one. I'd, I'm not I'm not a big I'm not saying that people should kind of just 
put up with getting ridiculously sick, but there is a point at which this is just a tough event. And actually, yeah, if, if that's the worst thing you experience on race day, then, then I would count that. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty good race. exactly yeah. So let's talk yeah. about, um, when and how often to drink is, is there a difference between having a consistent, um, interval or, uh, just maybe doing a chug every few minutes. Like for me personally, um, I, I've talked before about how I have a, a timer set. It's every 15 minutes. Um, I do my best to drink regularly in between those 15 minute intervals, but I know every time that 15 minute interval hits, I'm going to take a big draw or two on my bottle. Um, I've, I've talked before about how oftentimes, um, especially on the bike, I'm, I'm monitoring my power output. I'm monitoring the road, what's going on. And, and even in those hot conditions, sometimes I, I forget to drink regularly and I can find myself getting behind. So that's where I went, why I set up those, those alerts. So is, is there a difference in, um, maybe even taking in, um, just a big draw every 15 minutes first, every two or three minutes, maybe more like what Andrew was saying out of, out of a straw where you can kind of sip regularly. Is there a difference in, in how the body absorbs and is there an advantage one way or another? Yeah, it is a good and common question. So the science suggests that if the main difference is if you take a large bolus of fluid in at any moment in time, it has the tendency obviously stretches your stomach a little bit and then that can speed up gastric emptying. So you can maybe get more fluid from your stomach into your gut to be absorbed. Um, whether that makes a substantial difference overall to the amount of fluid you can absorb is not necessarily as clear. So there's not, what that probably leads me to suggest is there's not necessarily a huge disadvantage to drinking larger amounts infrequently as compared to drinking smaller amounts frequently. The, the advantage of drinking smaller amounts frequently, of course, is you don't get that fullness or bloating, which is maybe it's, it's uncomfortable on the bike, but it's obviously a big no-no on the run. You really, yeah. you, you don't want to feel like that on the run when you're bouncing up and down. So I think as a, as a rule, if people are asking for advice, I would normally suggest they do exactly what John said, set a beeper for every 15 or 20 minutes. I think that it's not necessarily a, an indictment that you have to drink at that point if it's obviously a hot and humid race and you're constantly going to be behind then it might be but what it more is is it's a reminder to think about drinking every 15 minutes and then assess do i feel like i need a drink how much do i have last time and it just helps you with a routine and a rhythm it's the same with taking on calories but but with the with the amounts it's really kind of yeah a, a comfortably tolerable amount each time the only other exception to to the rule is obviously course specific. So when when we were um, at the Ironman seventy point three Championships in Nice a couple of years ago, where the bike course is essentially like flat up a massive hill, down a massive hill, and flat again, you're not going to try and drink on the descent particularly because this was like a seriously hair raising, fast and furious descent. So, and the climb, although the climb. You know, it, it was tricky to drink on parts of the climate. It was very steep. Some of it was relatively shallow in the saddle climbing. So we were saying to people, you know, what you want to be doing is obviously drinking before the climb, drinking a little bit on the climb. Don't worry about it, drinking and eating on the descent. But then what you've got to do is get some drinking and eating done on the flat on the way back into town before the run. So there are, there will be circumstances where the course just kind of dictates that to you. Which that much more just, just demonstrates the need to know the course, know what you're going to experience. I, I always say no surprises on race day. I always recommend driving the course to see where, where those things are, uh, even things like aid stations and how they are positioned in, 
in relation to things like you're talking about, like is is this aid station at a 90 degree turn? Is it on a climb? Is it at a descent? Is it at the bottom of a descent? Which sometimes I kind of question, like, why do they put the, the aid station here? Like this is not <laughs> necessarily this is not the easiest time to, to, like you said, reach up and take a bottle. Um, but, yeah, that's that's uh, that's great stuff. So, yeah, that that definitely matters and, and can, uh, you know, it's, it's great if you can in, uh, anticipate that. Uh, cause obviously we're, like you mentioned, we're, we're seemingly always running a deficit. So if we can plan ahead and, and kind of offset the fact that I know that for the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to be able to take in a significant amount of water or take in my nutrition. Uh, if you can do what you can to, to kind of preload that and offset the effects of that. Yeah, I'd say it's good. The other thing you mentioned there as well, which is worth touching, I suppose, is the aid stations and the fact that sometimes it can make it can counterintuitively be the sensible thing to do to ditch a bottle that's like two thirds gone what and pick a fresh one up at an aid station where it's 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 easy to do so rather than risk it risk running out ahead of the next one and then missing a bottle because obviously the the ultimate no-no is like run out go miss one at the next aid station effectively go two stops without getting one so i was always and plus like you said the, the water or whatever often gets really warm and stuff so if in doubt ditch an old bottle early while you can get a fresh one and and ride with them relatively full i learned that lesson the hard way at uh, in one of my races <laughs> and i had a really bad run um because of it i was it was later in the bike and so i was trying to lighten up it's uh ironman louisville which had some some elevation gains so i was like i don't I only have like 30, 40 miles left. I don't need three bottles. So I just took one knowing I had another aid station coming up. And as soon as I took that bottle, um, I have a, a horizontal um, uh, cage between my bars and, and I looked down and the lid had popped off. And so the whole bottle, just oh, no. out of all this sugary stuff had just dumped onto my wheel. And so I had nothing. Um, and by then the, the day was getting warmer. Uh, I was on a, a relatively hilly part of the course. So I was, I was doing some work, putting on some heat, sweating, and I had nothing to, uh, to, to come back. So when, in, in an attempt to lighten up a little bit and, you know, who, who knows, I would have shaved two seconds. Uh, I paid, like you said before, I, I could have potentially maybe saved seconds by not having that little bit of extra weight, but it, it cost me significant minutes on the run. Cause I was so far behind, uh, coming off the bike. Yeah. Yeah, all those lessons, but often learn the hard way, aren't they? So, Andy, something I want to ask about, because we, we have a substantial amount of people in our audience who, um, you know, are, are not Ironman athletes. You know, they're they're fantastic triathletes. They race sprint. They race Olympic. They like short course. Um, you know, when, when we talk about kind of making a plan for, for race day, um, does the race distance have any impact on, on what we need to be taking in fluid-wise, or, or, or is it just kind of you know, know your numbers, know what you need per hour. And the only difference is I'm doing that for one hour versus 14 hours. Um, or, or is there actually a different approach to take based on the distance of the course? Yeah, de definitely a huge difference based on duration of the activity, because I think to where they're similar is with all of the events, you're going to want to turn up on the start line well hydrated, because regardless of you can't, you can't kind of overhydrate too much. You can preload a little bit with some additional sodium and, and be well hydrated and you know, optimally hydrated at the start, but you can't go far beyond that. It's not like glycogen carbohydrate loading where you can significantly store additional fuel. So is presuming you've started a race 
well hydrated if we take a sprint one to start with so if a sprint one is going to take a really fast athlete you know just a little bit under an hour and some people are going to be maybe out there for 90 minutes or so you're at that you're in that zone where where in certainly in cool conditions getting away with drinking very little to nothing is is doable so the fastest athletes will drink close to nothing often in a sprint race if it's hot or humid and if you're going to if you're going to be out there a little bit longer you most athletes will still have and probably should have a bottle on the bike with something in it and my advice there would be like drink what you feel you need to so kind of listen to your body basically um if you're a complete novice it might be good as as john suggested in the longer races to have a beeper on the bike just to kind of remind you as a cue to say like think about this because it's easy to just get wrapped up in it and, and forget but for me the composition of that drink is more about probably carbohydrate energy than it is purely about hydration um even if even if it's hot and humid and sweaty in 60 to 90 minutes yes you can become a little bit dehydrated but you're not going to reach catastrophic levels of dehydration so if you drink something which is a bit higher in carbohydrate content you're you're far more in danger of running out of energy than running out of fluid and the the bit of fluid helps it so a kind of um like a isotonic type sports drink is probably a really good choice for for that duration when you get up to kind of more like olympic distance you know the two hours just under two hours for fast guys and maybe up to stretching it to three for three and a bit for other people um that's where you the conditions will play a huge role so in colder cooler conditions i definitely and i wouldn't recommend this but i definitely remember doing olympic distance races as a as a youngster on nil by mouth you know i would consider it fine to do a couple of hours of racing maybe swilling a bit of water on the bike but that would be it that would be it um if it's hot and humid though you may want to drink one or even at the extremes two bottles on the bike and you might be starting to bring some electrolytes and things in when it's if you're a big sweater because you know you, you're out there for a long time you want to set yourself up for a good run but again like like the sprint distance i would still say that hydration is important but fueling is is the one for the, for those sort of races you need some carbs and you'll see if you're watching the olympics the amount of guys and girls who run out of t2 with a little energy gel tucked in they've probably had one or two energy gels on the bike because the rate of energy burn when you're going hard at that intensity is really high so fueling up and then and then half Ironman or the kind of lot, you know, the, the shorter version of the long course races, that's, that becomes much more closely related to Ironman in terms of, you know, you, I, I start to advocate a lot more for people to separate their fueling from their hydration electrolytes. And so they can manage them independently. And we're, we're back then into all the variables we talked about before where, you know, l- low amounts of liquid for cooler peak cooler conditions and people with low sweat rates and you could be up at almost at those ironman levels of drinking if it's hot and humid um obviously you're just doing less hours so there's less less hours of drinking on the bike but the same the same kind of principles apply yeah so andy the, the cool thing is you know no matter what race somebody has coming up no matter what the conditions are going to be no matter what your numbers are um any athlete can book a 20 minute consultation call with precision hydration, you know, specifically to get, uh, their own race plan nailed down. And and I mean, Andy, that's, I mean, just talk about next level service. I mean, I always appreciate companies that, you know, aren't just in the game to, to sell their products, but they genuinely care about the athletes and their experience in the sport. I mean, at tried out, that's the approach we have. We genuinely love and care about our athletes. You know, we get the same sense, uh, from precision hydration. So, you know, talk to us about these free 20 minute calls. Uh, I mean, 
What, what are those conversations like? Well, yeah, they're they're interesting. They 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 are a side effect of the coronavirus epidemic, really, because oh, wow. we we um, we started them because we used to go to a lot of events, and that's where we would interface and talk to athletes face to face in the event village uh, expos and things like that. And we were due to be at the London Marathon Expo in April when coronavirus, the COVID pandemic hit in March and we sat around and said, well, what are we going to miss about that event? And we said, well, we won't, we won't be able to go and talk to people, our customers. So we, we put in our newsletter, book a free video consultation so you can chat with the team instead of meeting us on the booth at the London marathon. And within a few hours, we'd had like 80 people had booked calls wow. <laughs> and, and we suddenly, we suddenly had to pull some really long shifts in the office and everyone was uh, got, got calls with it. and, and people loved it. They absolutely loved it. We loved it because we got to talk to customers and we're all sociable people who love a, a good chat about sport. But, but also what we found as from a business point of view is we really learned what kind of questions people had about, wow. you know, what, what did, what, what do people want to know? And that's where we'd always talked about this, but this is where our concept that we're increasingly pushing and talking about now about knowing your numbers came in because what was glaringly apparent from people is that people wanted to be told what to do. They wanted guidance. They wanted to know how much to drink, how much electrolyte to take, how many gels to take and that sort of thing. And because you can't just neatly write out a table and give people advice on that. What we found was that it taught us what questions we needed to ask in order to better understand individual needs. And then in order to make that more accessible to more people, it, it fed into the online tools that we'd built. So the online sweat test, the quick carb calculator, those kind of things then help people to get a handle on those numbers. So what, what we basically found was those those calls were a lot about helping people to identify their individual numbers or the likely, rather than giving them the whole playing field, like zooming in on the bit of the ballpark where they needed to be doing their trial and error. And then we've had numerous feedbacks or second calls and follows up with people over the over the last 18 months and huge, huge amount of success. And then for us as individuals and as a company, that's just like it is when you're, when you're a coach, as you guys will know, it's just really gratifying when people come back to you after their event and say, yeah, did this. And you know what? It worked phenomenally well. We get so many people come back to us. We get a lot of people contact us who suffer badly with cramps because obviously electrolytes can be involved in that. And we have some of the nicest, you know, some of the genuinely nicest emails and feedback forms in from people who have cramped at the last 10 attempts at Ironman or whatever. And then, uh, and then finally got through one without cramping because they've changed their hydration plan. And, you know, we all know the kind of, the amount of your heart and soul that you pour into doing a big event like that. The, yeah. the, not, the financial commitment, the time commitment, the time away from your family, the pressure it puts on you at work, whatever else. And then to actually go and have it derailed by cramp is soul destroying. And then to turn that around is obviously doubly sweet. So we, we've just, but, but yeah, to, to, to drill it down, it's, it often comes about, it's about those conversations result in education around these numbers and and I think if people can get those numbers right, then it is the in triathlon terms, it is the killer fourth discipline. You know, if you can if you can nail it, then you 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 have to be fit enough, you have to pace things well. And if you get your nutrition and hydration right, then the only other thing that's gonna, you know, take you out is a a dust cart reversing into you on the bike or something like that. You know, you're gonna have a good day otherwise. It's it, it it's getting those things right. 
Yeah, and we have, uh, you know, TriDot is is here to help people get fit enough. You know, we have RaceX, which is to help people pace correctly. And then we have uh, our friends at Precision Hydration to help us uh, nail that fourth discipline. So, um, John, you, you actually weren't on the first episode with Andy. It was myself and Coach Elizabeth James interviewing Andy uh, back on episode 87. Um, so, John, you listened to that episode. Um, and, and you, right afterwards, I mean, you were so compelled by hearing Andy talk about knowing your numbers and talk about knowing... Uh, what's in your sweat that you reached out to Precision Hydration, you did one of these 20-minute consultation calls that we're talking about. Um, you know, what made that episode so compelling for you and what has your experience been with the product since that consultation? So I think for me is I identified with with Andy in his in his story and his struggles and everything he'd been through. Um, early on in my, my racing career, I, I, I encountered a lot of the same issues that he did with, with races falling apart where I'd done the work, I was fit, and, you know, there are things that happen on race day that never happen in training. And, and a lot of that can revolve around all those things we've been discussing and uh, not having that well-vetted, well-executed plan or having the right product in, in place and time. So, um, you know, that's always been in, in something that I've, I've either either struggled with or been intentionally working towards and improving on. Um, and so I, I've taken a bit of a, a break from from. Uh, I've done some racing in the last couple of years, but, uh, I, I had starting in 2020, some, some real, um, goal driven, uh, race initiatives. And, and obviously those got deferred to this year. Um, so I really want to race well. And, um, when, when Andy did the podcast, he's, he's clearly an expert. He clearly knows what he's talking about. He's got the, the education background, he's got the experience and that really spoke to me. And it's, I've always committed as a coach to, to perpetual learning. I, I will never arrive. I will never know everything. So it's always fantastic to uh, encounter somebody like Andy that really knows what he's talking about and is passionate about it and passionate about helping people. So I really identified with that. And, and it, yeah, it immediately struck a chord of, I need to do this as soon as possible because I know that uh, I'm going to be training through the, the, the Gulf coast summer. I'm going to be training in very hot conditions. Um, I'm racing my, earliest uh fall ironman ever so all of my training has been through june july august and um whereas in the past if i'm racing like ironman arizona i do a lot more racing in some of those cooler uh months but i've, I've done all my my training through the heat of summer and i knew that in order to be successful in those sessions i had to nail my hydration i had to nail my nutrition um so it was something that, that really spoke to me both as a, as a coach working with athletes, but also as an athlete with, with goals that I, I want to, to do well, uh, in my races this year. So it was priority for me. And then, uh, yeah, the, the website was fantastic. It was very user-friendly, very informative. Um, the process to book that call was, was easy. Um, I, I had that call, uh, with Sean who was, he was awesome. Um, he knew my story when we started the call, I could tell he'd done his, his due diligence. He'd read the information that I provided. He'd done some, some background work. And then from there made some, some really good recommendations that all really, uh, struck with me. He's like, yeah, this all makes sense. I get it. I understand it. He did a great job of explaining the products and how to use them. Um, and then afterwards there was a great follow-up with, uh, provided resources as well as, uh, notes from the session. So I've referred back to those notes several times in, in my preparations for, for these sessions coming up. So it's, it's just been a fantastic experience. And then the product has just, just worked. Um, we were talking before we started the, the recording about how I did a, a five hour, hundred mile ride on Saturday. And I was a little nervous because my family had, had gone out of town on Friday and I was leaving, um, as soon as I could to go meet them. But after doing five hours in the Gulf coast heat, it was a hundred degrees when I finished that ride. 
uh, I was really nervous about hopping in the car for for three hours and then being kind of in dad mode uh, for for the afternoon and being there as to not just, you know, be laid up and crash for the rest of the afternoon. I felt fantastic. And uh, the drive was no wow. problem. I had a great time with my family that afternoon. And and I really, truly believe a lot of that was because I came off the that workout not in a severely depleted state. Um, I was able to to keep up with my hydration, keep up with um, my nutrition and not come off in, in such a depleted state where I was just trashed for the rest of the day. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had a, a great experience with it and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to using them on race day. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Always happy to share cool, unique, and or meaningful event opportunities with all of you. We do a segment sometimes in our cooldowns called My Favorite Local Race, where an athlete can tell us all about their favorite local race to sign up for and participate in. But today, Tridot athlete Jason Glenn has a special annual event to tell us about. One of the cool things with being a multi-sport athlete is sometimes you can participate in a charity or fundraising event as a way to get in your training while supporting a good cause. And Jason has a meaningful opportunity coming up where we could do just that. Have a listen. Jason Glenn here for the Central Lakes Cycle David Grotberg Memorial 24-7 duathlon and 5K-ish run. I wanted to invite everyone out there in TriDot podcast land to join us in person in Fergus Falls, Minnesota on September 18th, 2021, or to race with us virtually for this unique event. It's a bike run bike duathlon, which makes it one of a kind. It starts off with a 20 mile bike on paved roads in the Central Lakes Trail, followed by a four mile run on roads and trails and finishing up with a seven mile bike on paved roads. If biking isn't your thing, we also have the 5K-ish run, where the ish bumps the typical 5K up to a four-mile distance. This race has been on hiatus for a couple of years, but we're bringing it back this year with the proceeds going to fund a scholarship at Baylor University in honor of David Grotberg, who sold me my first bike as I was getting into this crazy sport of triathlon. David was tragically killed in a hit-and-run accident while riding his bike back to campus as a student at Baylor in 2016, where he was a sophomore and a trumpet player in the Baylor University Golden Wave Marching Band. He worked at Central Lake Cycle with his father since he was about 12 years old. The rest of the race committee and I are excited to be bringing this back in his memory. We'd love to have you join us in person, but we also have the virtual option for the run and the full duathlon with both legs of the bike course on Ruby to give you the full benefit of the scenic views and rolling hills here in West Central Minnesota if you have a smart trainer. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Central Lake Cycle Duathlon and 5K, and I'll post a link with more info on the I Am Tridot Facebook page. You can also go to www.centrallakescycle.com forward slash CLC dash two four seven dash duathlon for more information or to register for the event we look forward to having you join us thanks well that's it for today folks i want to thank tridot's very own john mayfield and precision hydration's andy blow for coming on to help us craft our own race day hydration plan Be sure to head to precisionhydration.com to learn more about your own hydration needs and be sure to use code TRIDOT10 when you check out with some of their fantastic hydration and fueling products. 
Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to trydot.com slash podcast and click on submit feedback to let us know what you're thinking. We'll do it all again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.